Luke chapter 16 is the scripture for today, verses 19 through 31. Luke chapter 16. This scripture is extremely important if true. The Bible is important if true. If what we read today is true, then it calls for a response from each and every person, a response from every person that has not yet confessed, repented, and believed in the Lord Jesus. And certainly for all those that have confessed, repented, and, and believed in the Lord Jesus, it calls for obedience. It calls for us to take action because the words are true and the result is true. Jesus tells this parable to help us to understand the reality of hell. In verse 19, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. I can see this man dressed in the finest of clothes. He's got that purple for his wealth, for his high place in society, the fine linen. It probably comes from the finest cotton there is in the world in Alabama. <laughs> that redland cotton, not that Giza strip, but that redland cotton. He's a rich man. He's clothed in purple and fine linen, and he feasted sumptuously every day. I would imagine that he has to cut the hair off his ribeye because it's been hanging so long. The bacteria is probably a half inch thick on his ribeye. That's the good stuff. If you're like me, you never had one of those. But he probably has it grilled to perfection. He's probably got one of those, those, uh, those grills that sear it in, probably really, really hot. He's probably got him a, a, a baked potato with butter and cheese and sour cream. May not have the sour cream, may not be kosher, but he's living it up. He's got the finest glass of wine. And then at the end, he has the best apple pie there is. And he just eats it up. And after that, he has a great cigar. He's living life sumptuously every single day. And at his gate, the gate is called his gate. So there's, he's got so much ownership. This is where all the business takes place. At his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus who's covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Can, can you just give me a little bit of the, of the drippings? Can you just give me a little bit of the leftover? Did he, did he leave anything left? Is there any fat from that ribeye? Is there a little bit of potato left that I can have? He, he's covered in sores. He's poor. He just wants a little bit of the leftovers. And he, he, he desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Sad situation, isn't it? He's got sores all over his body. He's hungry, and he's just destitute. It says in verse 22, 
The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And so it's obvious that Jesus has now given us a comparison between the rich man and the poor man. He's given us a comparison about their eternity. Important if true, worth listening to, worth considering. He says, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his fingers in water and cool my tongue. Can you imagine being that thirsty? Can you imagine being in that kind of agony that, that you just want, you just want a little bit that can, that can be on the fingertip of a person? Just a little bit. Can you just send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue? For he says, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime receive your good things and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. The comparison, comfort and anguish. One is in comfort and one is in anguish. And besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. He says, I got five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, no. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And Jesus responded, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Even if someone rises from the dead, they won't be convinced. Your five brothers, your five brothers, even if, now if they're not going to listen to the prophets, if they're not going to listen to Moses, then you got to understand, if they're not open to the Word of God, they're not even going to be open to the Word of God if someone rises from the dead. Oh, important if true. If this is important, this is extremely, if this is true, this is extremely important, isn't it? First thing I want you to see here is the description that Jesus gives of hell. We see in verse 23, torment. Now, he says later on down here that there's anguish, torment and anguish. Do you, do you know that when they poll people about religious things, that when they poll people about if they believe in heaven or not, 93% of all Americans 
believe in some form of heaven. 93% of all Americans believe in some form of heaven. It wasn't real clear in the poll, you know, describing that heaven is a place where God is. But, but, every, but 93% of all Americans, whether they're believers or not, they believe that after this life, there's just something a little better than we've had here. You know, something a little better for them. And did you know that that same poll says that 51% of all self-professing Christians, church-going people, 51% of them believe in some form of hell, in some form of punishment, in some some part of condemnation. To me, that's that's eye-opening. To me, that's scary. To me, that says that we have drifted a great way away from believing that the words of Jesus are true. I mean, can you imagine that, that all church-going people, so if it is true of our spot, if it's true at our place here today, that out of 100 people that are here today, 49 don't believe that hell is real, that hell exists. And imagine how that impacts our evangelism. There would be none, right? I mean, if everybody goes to heaven, if everybody makes it, if everybody's good, if God would not allow something like hell to exist, as some people believe, then there'd be no urgency. There would be no fear of God. There would, there would just be no appetite to obey God if that were the case. And so if important, if true, if, if the words of Jesus are true, we, we really need to pay attention that here Jesus describes that the rich man, who is unnamed, by the way, is in torment. Luke 16 says that hell is torment. Matthew 8 says that hell is the place of darkness, darkness being no light. Darkness being a place of no hope. Darkness representing no comfort. Because light comforts, darkness does not. Matthew 13, Jesus describes hell as weeping and gnashing of teeth. It means that the experience is so horrible that the people weep, they cry, and they gnash their teeth, they grind their teeth in agony. Matthew 5, the Scripture teaches us, Jesus says that that hell is a fire. He speaks about that fire in Matthew 18 by saying it's an eternal fire. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus says it's an unquenchable fire. And he speaks about the place where the worm lives but does not die. And And the thirst is there and it's not quenched and the fire cannot be put out. The fire cannot be put out. In Revelation 14, we see the word of the Lord teach us that hell is represented as a place of fire and brimstone. Fire and brimstone, the hottest of hot, the lava hot. And then 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, the word of the Lord tells us that hell is separation from God. 
Any one of these descriptions is enough for me. Any one of these descriptions is a warning about the importance of believing in Jesus. Any one of these descriptions is, in a, is, is alarming. Any one of these descriptions. And, and I've often wondered if for John in Revelation and if in the language translations for us today, if it's like it is with heaven, I, I really believe that heaven is so wonderful that it's very difficult in language to be able to really describe what heaven is like because it's beyond language. It's beyond description. You can have a painting of heaven and you go, well, that's lovely. You can have a, 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 a movie made about heaven and I'm sure that it would have some awareness that it would probably make us have some sort of uh, desire to, to be in heaven and experience what heaven has to offer. But I, I, I imagine any medium that would be used to describe heaven on this side of eternity is going to pale in comparison to actually seeing there, seeing it and being there and experiencing heaven. The perfect temperature, the perfect fellowship, the perfect everything for us. And I wonder if that's not true also of hell. That if hell is not so horrible, we can't describe it. I mean, I don't, I don't think that any of us can understand being on fire and not burning up. Horrible, isn't it? And Jesus says the rich man is in the place of torment. And then we go along here in verse 24. Look at this. And he calls out, he cries out, he shouts out the cry that come from hell. I mean, this is, this is a parable. When we're looking at this, we, we, we find that truth of hell's reality from the words of Jesus but my goodness, the idea of people crying out in hell, it's, to me, it's a warning. It's a get your attention. It's to say, come on, man, we, we've got to obey the Lord. We've got to honor him. We've got to confess, repent, and believe. We've got to be faithful. There is a battle for the hearts of people, for the souls of people. And if hell is, is as real as heaven, we, we must warn people. We, we must... We must do all we can within our own ability, within our own giftingness, within, within the Spirit's work. We've got to warn all our family members. We've got to warn everybody that we love and care about. We've got to warn people that we don't care about, because I don't know about you, I don't want my worst enemy to go to hell. They cry out from hell. I, 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 I thought about different people in the Bible, what their cry might be to learn a lesson I think about Cain. Cain said that when the punishment was given to him after he had killed his brother because his brother's sacrifice was accepted by God and Cain's brain sacrifice was not accepted, he said, my punishment is more than I can bear. That has to be hell. If Cain experienced that just by the isolation that he was going to get from his family, that God laid down on him because he took his brother's life. 
this has got to be beyond that. My punishment is more than I can bear. This is more than I can handle. I can't imagine that kind of torment that you cry out and you say, it's more than I can handle. Think about the people of Jonah's day. You know, the Bible tells us that that Jonah was more than a shipbuilder. He was more than the ark builder. He was more than an animal uh, tamer and collector. Jonah was a preacher of righteousness. And all the time that Jonah is out there in that dry land building the ark, obviously had to seem loco to all the people out there, right? What in the world is that guy doing, building the ark out there in the desert? It's huge. You know, can you imagine all the gopher wood, all the wood he had to put together, the, the logistics of building that had to have been unbelievable. And, and yet, Jonah used that opportunity to preach righteousness to the people. To preach righteousness means that your sin will find you out. Your sin will be punished. You must believe in God. You must believe in the God who's calling me to build this ark. This ark is going to be your salvation. You believe God. And you enter into the ark, and, and that is a forerunner of us entering into faith in Christ. Christ is our ark. He's our salvation. And he's out there building that ark. And do you know that no one else believed except for Jonah and his people? They did not heed the words of the preacher of righteousness. Now, the water was in the land after it rained, and it rained and rained and rained. Those 40 days and 40 nights, the water remained for 150 days before it started to subside, before you saw the little leaf the bird brought over. They couldn't tread water for 150 days. I, I, I just think about that story, and it just, it just causes great concern, great angst in my life. Why didn't they listen to this preacher of righteousness? Why don't people heed warnings? Why, why in the world do people believe they're smarter than, what, who, than any idea of God? I, I just wonder about that. I, when I was a kid, was always watching Carl Sagan. You know, he was always on the talk shows, always on Johnny Carson, and, and I was kind of interested in how he talked and things like that. He's, he's dead now. I wonder what his cry is. How could I be so cotton-picking smart and miss the reality of God? Judas. Judas. Can you imagine Judas? He grieved so bad when he came to his senses that he took his own life. And he, and he cries out from hell today, I can't believe I betrayed an innocent man. I can't believe I'm the one that betrayed the man of God the one that comes, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I heard him. I saw him. I saw the miracles. And yet I, I betrayed him for 30 lousy pieces of silver. Money before God, wealth before God, promoting ourselves before God. All those, I think, fit in Judas's cry. And then you think about King Agrippa. It's an interesting thing with King Agrippa. The translation is really kind of uh, not real clear cut for us. And you can read the story of King Agrippa. And when Felix is there and the conversations had, King Agrippa, after listening to the Apostle Paul, 
And the Apostle Paul, he was getting on down to it. He was sharing the truth about who Christ is and what Christ did and what Christ did in his life. And King Agrippa either said, I almost believed, or he said, do you really think in this short of time someone as magnificent as me would have believed? Magnificent, not in the Scripture, my insert, based on his pride. Can you imagine the cry of King Agrippa in hell today? I had opportunity. I listened to Paul. I gave it thought. I gave it consideration. But who I was was just too important. Who I was mattered too much to me. And I almost believed, or I was so arrogant that I just had the idea that for Paul, he would have to spend far more effort, far more time to confront, could convict me that Jesus is the Lord of all. I wonder what the cries from hell are like. You see, the idea that he cried out, it just speaks volumes to us. It's torment, right? But then when you think about what they cry out, to me, it just helps us to understand the torment. It's unbelievable, isn't it? And then you walk along here and you see what else that is revealed to us about hell. And in verse 26, he says, and beside all this, Jesus says, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed between, between the world and between hell and heaven, there's a, there's a great chasm that's fixed there. In order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and may not cross from there to us, right? That says to us that at death, we enter into this world where there's no crossing over. Now, what that means to me is, in simple language, that you've got to believe and confess and, and repent of your sins here, because when you die, there's no more opportunity. There's no more opportunity. Let me reason with you. There's no more opportunity. You can have the idea that one day you'll get it worked out. One day you'll believe. One day you're going to follow Christ, you know. You're going to live Europe now. You're going to do your own thing. You, you just may not get that chance. You just may not get that chance. What a horrible gamble to take. It's just too late. The opportunity's over after we die. And then we see the conclusion of this parable that Jesus teaches us. And, and this is about the wealthy man saying, man, I got five brothers. I, I got to warn them. So the, obviously, the five, he knows the five brothers are destined for his destination. They're going to end up in hell with him. He knows that, right? He wants, go warn them. Go warn them. And, and Jesus says here in, that Abraham says back to him, they got Moses and the prophets. Believe in them. Hear them. Read them. And believe in God and repent. And he says, ah, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. They will repent. And Jesus says, no, even if they've heard Moses and the prophets, 
they won't be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. That's, that's unbelievable to think about that. Jesus Christ rose from the grave, and people still didn't believe. And the same is true today. Unconvinced, unpersuaded, they had the opportunity, and they walked away from it. Unconvinced and unpersuaded. If you have not confessed, repented, and believed in Jesus, please heed the opportunity you have today. Confess means that you agree with God about Jesus. I confess that I acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. To confess means that you agree with God about your sin. You have sinned against God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us have sinned. And every single one of us, if are going to pay the price of that sin unless Jesus pays that price for us through the death of, uh, that he experienced on the cross. To repent, to, to, to know that we have sinned against God, that we have lived astray, that we have, we have lived against what God wants, and we are going to repent. Walking one way, we hear his call for us to repent, and we turn around and about face 180 degrees and we repent and we return to God. Repent. Repent because of hell. Repent because of hell. Repent because of torment. Repent because of the cries of hell. Repent because when you die, it's too late. I, I know we live in an age where, where people often say, and I've been told this a time or two, you know, preacher, please don't scare people off. Be, 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 be a little gentler. Be a little kinder. Let's talk about love. Let's talk about grace. Let's talk about heaven. Let, let's not talk about the consequences of sin. Let's not talk about repentance and things like that. And for the life of me, I, I, I don't understand that because if any of us would spend any time at all in hell, we would shout from the rooftops. Repent, repent, repent. And so I don't know where I'm going to scare you to that you're not already at. Repent, turn to God. And if you're in Christ today, if you have confessed and you have repented and you have believed in Christ and you're one of God's children and, and you're living for him to the best of your ability, you know, all those kind of things, then what is, the, what is the application for you from this scripture today? Be who God wants you to be for God's sakes. Quit living for yourself. Get out of the closet. Be vocal. Be, be public about who Jesus is to you. You know why? Because of the torment of hell. The torment of hell. Be willing to be laughed at. Be willing to be despised. Be willing to have your family members think you're crazy. Man, I won't be, you know, Paul said that. If you think I'm crazy, we're being crazy for you. And if, if people that you know and care about, if, if you start to talk to them about the reality of Jesus and turning to God and believing him, and if they say you're a Bible freak, you're a Bible thumper, you're a Jesus nutcase, 
say, I'm a nutcase for you. And I'm going to be a nutcase for you because Jesus says to us, there is a place of torment. There is a place that's so horrible people cry out. There is a place that we go to for all of eternity and the fire is not quenched. I'm going to be absolutely crazy in people's eyes to warn, to warn, to plead, to urge, to beg people to believe, confess, and repent. We want to give you an opportunity today to come forward and kneel at the altar and say, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to spend all of eternity in darkness. I don't want to see, spend all of eternity separated from God. And also to come today and say, man, I'm going to live for Christ. There are people in my life that I've got to share with. There's people in my life that I've got to talk to. And I'm going to leave this place one of those nutcases for God because of hell. And that's what the Holy Spirit would cause you to do. Let's stand, let's sing, and if you're making a decision today, you come talk to me, you can come down here and kneel at the altar, but come to receive Christ, come to just rededicate your life to Christ, to renew your commitment to Christ, but come and, and be what he wants you to be. You know what we're saved from, don't you? You know, we always talk about, are you saved? To be saved. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. You know what we're saved from? Hell. Saved from hell. Snatched away. Drawn away. Loved away. Saved from hell. Let us sing and make the decision that the Holy Spirit leads you to make today.